Yeah, he's not just copying. Hey, turn your mic way up, Dan. You suddenly got really quiet, like more than more so, more than usual. How's that? Do it now. Talk. Hello. Uh, turn it up more. Oh, sorry. No, I uh, my way too. Oh my um, god. Now it's too loud. <laughs> How about now? Hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan, and welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm joined by my two good buddies, Dan Crook. How you doing, Dan? Hey, uh, really confused. I was uh, looking forward to a busy final day of the uh, window, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be a busy one. And uh, your hero and mine, editor and founder of thirddegree.net and the Dallas Morning News, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Uh, today I'm calling in from Orlando, where apparently I uh, was confused about what day the game was. <laughs> yes, you're there the wrong day. <laughs> may I highly recommend Harry Potter World at Universal. That'll be a good oh, use of your time. It's really good. You may, yeah, yeah, sure. I have not actually been there. I've just heard good things about it. I have. It's oh, really good. Okay, awesome. Right. Did you buy a magic wand? No. Why didn't you buy a magic wand? Be- because I'm... An adult, <laughs> but you went to I Harry a, Potter's world. <laughs> I have a Marauder's map. Yeah. All right. Well, then the dragon was cool. I'm sure, the dragon was super cool. Uh, Peter, before we get started, I just wanted to mention that uh, per fan request, I have created a Patreon account for for people that would like to support this podcast and everything we do. Uh, it's at patreoncom slash third degree like the website three r d d e g r e e. Uh, a lot of people may not know that we don't get uh, compensated by the Dallas Morning News for our work. Uh, and lately, we've tried to add some content outside of the paywall for everybody, including this podcast, which we hope everybody enjoys. And also uh, the reporting we do on Twitter and Facebook and such places as that. So um, we created the Patreon to give people a chance to support our work. If you like what we do, feel free to contribute as much as you like, as much as you feel it's appropriate. Uh, and if, uh, if not, that's fine too. We will continue to, um, do what we do and hopefully everyone will continue to enjoy our content. So, uh, because of my schedule, I'm sorry to the both of you that we are recording this, uh, deep late on a Wednesday evening, uh, buzz and Dan, I am going to ask the question, have we all just come to the, all uh, the shared agreement that, uh, we all collectively are fans are Charlie Brown, Dan Hunt is Lucy and the promise <laughs> of a beautiful transfer window of fun and excitement is the football. Yeah, absolutely. That's no question. That's what happens. Uh, you know, Dan always is, as we, I say, is very optimistic that all these great things are going to happen. And as always happens almost every year, it's just one guy. Um, sometimes it's impactful. Sometimes it's not in this case so far. It's not. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the Lucy Charlie Brown again. Uh, yeah. Uh, every year it's, uh, even in the media, we get, we, you know, we, we hear the fans excitement and we take the little run up and we just see that, try and kick that cloud of dust. Man, I, I even have to admit, even I bought into it just a little bit. He was so cocksure and absolute on the multiple occasions. He said, we're going to have impact players and there's going to be two to three of them. Um, and then just jerked the football outright from beneath us. When I saw uh, John Arnold's article in the Dallas Morning News, it said, yeah, um, uh, Lucci is just admitting, yeah, this is pretty much our roster. And I thought, oh, mm. that's not the answer I wanted to hear. Well, how long now have we been talking about or hearing about the idea that Bayern Munich might have a player that Dallas could use? That's been going on a year and a half, I think. We've been hearing that story. Yeah, and I, you know, that's a different question for another day uh, and more in depth about that relationship. But it does beg the question: was that over? Was that also oversold to the fan base that this relationship would be fruitful bi-directionally? Um, and the fact that we've now gone two complete transfer windows and just absolutely nothing uh, coming this way. And if that's the case. A, was it oversold, or B, was did Bayern Munich make a promise that they have just chosen not to deliver on? It was definitely oversold, but, I mean, you've got to look at it this way. It's a development deal, right? If a player comes from Bayern Munich, it's going to be someone from their under-19s that no one's ever heard of, but, hey, they're playing Europe. Let's get excited. It's not going to be, you know, one of the guys that uh, played in the World Cup 10 years ago and is you know, gracefully retiring 
uh, to some far corner of China. But do we? But but it's, is do, yeah. do did we want a Ribéry or um, uh, the other dude whose name is totally fallen off the back of my, Robin, Robin? Yeah, did we really want either one of those guys? I mean, I know that would be exciting. A, a, any of us three? No. Okay. Many fans, yes, because it's just a big name. Yeah, I would have been far more excited about some 18, 19 year old from, you know, uh, Belgium that they've had in their academy for a while. I would have been way more excited about that, but that's just me. Yeah, you want someone that can come in and make a difference. And hey, if they're winning the Champions League in five years' time, you can say they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for FC Dallas. All right, so uh, so the, then the the, the uh, question becomes: Are we just done for? Or, I mean, it's the window's done. Uh, we all probably should have been completely, utterly prepared for uh, to be done. Uh, Buzz, the, the roster is what it is. Uh, what yeah. happens now? <laughs> Oof, what happens now? Um, <clears throat> well, they got a couple of spots open. Um, I think that those. One of those spots may go to a recall of um, one of their loan players, probably a Tuahene. Um, and then if they feel like they need some depth down the stretch, they might add um, a North Texas player for some depth. But that really that's really it. If you're talking about roster moves, that's what it's going to be. You know, this coming into this season, we you we all three have talked about this several times. This was um, a, a season of Lucci um, finding his feet and um, um not experimenting. That's the wrong word. Seeing what he has on his team that fits what he wants to do of evaluation, if you will. So while some things happened, some things he knew ahead of time he was doing and they did over the winter, but really like the deep evaluation from the roster is this season. So it's going to be this window coming up that you're going to see some movement out and you're going to see some movement in. And, and when he and I talked today, the thing, the two players that he mentioned, not by name last week, um, he said today that they just reached a point where uh, financially it didn't make sense to try and bring them in for, it wouldn't even be 10 games. It would be like five games. So they've, they've just basically pushed them to, and again, I don't think it'll be both probably one or the other. And probably this winter is whatever it was they were doing now is going to happen this winter instead. So, you know, there was a lot of activity. They did do a lot of talking and they did do a lot of reviewing a video and trying to decide if they were going to pay to get somebody now. And in the end they just decided to, just finish with what they have. And as he said, see how far we can go with this group and then we'll regroup and take the next step. So Dan, do we all just have to accept that the front office and the coaching staff has uh, essentially washed their hands of the 2019 season? Yeah, it defines really what you think uh, giving up on the season is. Uh, Obviously not challenging for the cup or uh, the shield. Now really every team in in the league should be challenging for the playoffs at least, which is, you know, in some way challenging for MLS Cup. If you don't think it is, then by all means feel that they've given up on the season. Um, you know, whatever they do, they're going to do it with the team they've got at Toyota Stadium now. Uh, should they really be one of the seven best teams in the conference? Yes, absolutely. It's not really that great a conference. Um, you know, but... They've got an important couple of weeks coming up with uh, Houston and Minnesota on Saturday. But do you, but Dan, so do you really, uh, th- but we'll do see. you honestly think they are a playoff caliber team? That they are a top seven team? Portland, Houston, Kansas City aren't going to uh, match them or leapfrog. I mean, Portland is two games uh, in hand on Dallas. Houston has one, and Sporting has one. Yeah, they they are they they are they they are one of the seven best teams in the conference. That's a well, playoff team. Okay, all right, Buzz. Do you think they're a playoff team? Uh, I think the last uh, two games have not been great, but I think if they make a couple of adjustments, I think then yes, they are a playoff team. So let's talk about that. What do you think those adjustments would be? There's there's a the one thing is that I think the team has played much better with a single pivot. So I think they should go back to that, which is with with two eights. You know the Paxton. Somebody else combo. I think that really helps because um, what's happening lately is Paxton's getting double team. He's getting boxed. He's getting focused. So they got to figure out a way to get him a little help, which is to get another eight in there. Um, that's a big part of it. And then the other part of it is to um, it's a very their attack a little bit. You can't 
always build solely from the back. Sometimes you have to counter punch um, and play over the top a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes the defense sit back if they're if they're pressing or mid block. It makes them be a little more hesitant to do that. Um, and some of your best talent on this team is to counter punching. Um, you know, certainly Baji's best talent, if he has one, is to counter punch, and Barrios for sure is. So you know, I think those two things. I think if you free up Paxton a little bit by giving him a little help, and if you uh, counter punch a little, I think that. Um, this team makes the playoffs. Now that's a long way from challenging for an MLS cup. I mean, they've got some problems that are um, bigger than what they are to actually be a legitimate top team. But uh, I think that those, those small changes, I think get them into the playoffs. But, it, but you guys both agree and tell me if I'm overreacting or I'm just being ignorant or, or whatever, that the fact that the transfer window turned out to be Edwin Jossi, who we'll talk about in a little bit more greater detail and what a disappointment he's turned out to be here in a second, um, is really uh, concerning considering all of the problems this team has. Yeah. I, you know, my early beginning of the season prediction was that um, they would be uh, coming towards the middle part of the season. They would be like third or fourth, and then they would drop down a little bit and then the window would happen and they would get a piece that would help them. But then I also thought over the course of the season that the kids would mature a little bit and they would find their way in Lucci's system better as as he tries to implement it over the course of the year. And then they would climb back into the playoff picture and finish in that same sort of fourth place position. So I, I kind of still hold to that. Giassi doesn't look like a contributor, but um, I still think that uh, the kids will play in a little bit and I think that they'll continue to improve in Lucci's system a little bit. And with, as I say, with one or two things, I think that gets them back into the playoffs, which is where I was at the start of the season. Now I know you weren't, so, um, you know, it's perfectly legitimate. The other side of the position, which you can take is perfectly legitimate is that they're not going to make this playoffs. And if they don't make the couple of changes that I'm talking about, I don't think they will make the playoffs. So, you know, there's a lot to be determined. It hasn't really worked with the kind of sitting too deep. They haven't, they haven't been able to connect passes from, from the midfield. It's, uh, that, zone 14 hole that we always used to talk about just moved back a little more um you know and they've got to kind of figure out who the man is up front and and stick with them give them some confidence you know striker is a confidence position after all so the worst thing you can do is start playing around moving to moving them to 10 moving them to the wings swapping in and out um you know I know it's it's get you know it's getting desperate when some people are like, "Hey, Cobra sucks," but maybe he could uh, get a goal at some point. I've decided that uh, our uh, good bald giant friend has just turned into the new Tex Hooper, and that the club essentially is using him for nothing more than appearance um, uh, material. A side funny story about that is that Kenny Cooper was at practice today, and I don't know if you guys remember, but like a year ago. He actually came into camp for a little while and tried to, you know, say, hey, Lucci, give me one last run. Let me see if I can help you or whatever. And so when I said Kenny today, I told him, I said, they should have signed you back then, buddy, instead of Cobra. It would have been better off. <laughs> what was uh, Kenny's reaction to that? Oh, uh, well, the same reaction Kenny has to everything, which is he smiled and laughed because the guy's a joyous fellow. But, yeah, you know. <laughs> Did you just say he's Santa Claus? Yeah, he is a jolly old elf. Yeah, yeah. The Houston hitman is Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, he off the field. Uh, Kenny Cooper is one of the most jovial, nicest people you'll ever meet. The guy is a saint. He is a good. The guy who pinned Victor Bernardes down by his throat <laughs> is Santa Claus. <laughs> he turns yeah, into a different beast on the field against Houston. Uh, all right. So now the uh, the sad part for the listener. Uh, is that we won't be able to do too much dissecting of the loss in Orlando because of the blackout. Neither Dan or uh, Buzz or the F- official FC Dallas uh, viewing party had access to <laughs> the, the game. Or, or the pre- well, no, the press box now has access. Um, they've been Quite running nice. a live feed. At least they did last time I was in the press box. Uh, oh, they didn't last week. Oh, well, in the room I was in, they had it. Um, So uh, I, on the other hand, am old and actually had an antenna installed in my attic many years ago, (laughs) and I can pick up Channel 21 off the air. And I even have it attached to a DVR so I can watch the game uh, in tape delay, which I did. And what I can tell all of you uh, that didn't get to see the game was this was 
one of the most shockingly poor performances from Dallas, and it was clear and obvious that the uh, death, the the death-defying humidity of Orlando, uh, did exactly all of the things that we all as fans hoped the uh, arid heat of Dallas would do to their opponents, uh, but never seemed to actually do. Uh, Orlando seemed to handle the humidity extremely well. Dallas struggled with it. The entire team looked really slow for most of the game. Um, Orlando took a lot of advantage of it, and Lucci made the shocking decision to start Edwin Jossi um, uh, in the game and that is a really, really interesting unto itself because I thought it was very clear that when he subbed in the game before against Real Salt Lake, um, and I think we even talked about this in the podcast, it, the guy didn't appear to have more than 10 or 15 minutes in his gas tank. Uh, the heat really sucked it out of him, and I was shocked that they would have tried to put him in, uh, let him ask him to start his first game in the humidity of Orlando. And I was, I have to tell you, Buzz, I was reading your practice observations uh, that you published today, mm-hmm. and I was delighted um, by your question about Jesse to Lucci and Lucci's answers. And we'll explain more about that why, but why don't you tell everybody what, uh, what Lucci said? Yeah, the, I, I asked him if Jesse was okay because Jesse took part in uh, training today. 100% looks fine. And he said, you tell me and chuckled. And then we, we, we had a discussion about how I didn't see the game. Um, but then he said, okay, here's the, here, I'm going to quote Lucci here for you. He said, so it was weird. Look, the guy went down, he's holding his hip flexor and he said he can't continue, but now he's feeling good two or three days later. It's a little bit, it's something that's not normal. I'm not used to that, but we're going to, going to assess it and see if he can compete to make the roster. So that's, I shortened the, the back in the quote. He talks more about the battle to make the roster and if the guy has time to compete and all that kind of stuff. But that's not important. What's important is, and you can read between the lines of what Lucci just said there, is that they're a bit mystified too about what could possibly be enough to knock you out of a game. And now you're fine, 100% ready to go. So there's certainly a question there about what exactly is going on with this guy in terms of his mentality and where he is and fo- how focused he is on this team and what the team's going to be doing going forward. So, Dan. Uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, what was it that I wrote you guys that I thought I was being, uh, I wrote privately to the two of you in our chat room uh, Saturday night after I watched the game. What was the very specific thing that I wrote you guys, uh, or the general thing that I wrote you guys that night after watching the game? Okay, and I quote, August 3rd, 11.57 p.m., Wow, you really did watch the game later. I did. I'm guessing Jassy gave up, not hurt. He didn't have 20 minutes in him last week. The Orlando humidity is crushing, and he couldn't take it. Plus, it's pretty clear he sucks. (laughs) You didn't have to throw that That, in there. That's the tone that was in my mind when I read it (laughs) at the time and now. Yeah, so I wrote that because when I saw the incident happen... The when he goes down, it's because he's won a ball and he's dribbled into Orlando's box. And for the umpteenth time in the 30 minutes he was on the field, he had the ball stolen from him relatively easily and he went down and then he just laid in the box. He just stayed there. And um, he when they finally got him up and it was clear that they were going to have to sub him out, the camera took a shot of him and the and he was holding his groin and he looked like he had run three Ironman triathlons in that 30 minutes. He looked so tired and so spent and is soaked from head to toe. Um, it was pretty clear to me that I, I didn't know in that moment if he had pulled his groin or not, but I was pretty sure that what was really going on is he just was out of gas. Well, certainly given how quickly he's recovered and how quickly he's back in training and how quickly he mm-hmm. looks like he's essentially... I say 100%. He looks like it looked before. I'll call that 100%. Um, the one thing I will say about it, about this kind of thing generically, is that a lot of times players that come here from uh, Europe in particular, come to Major League Soccer and specifically FC Dallas, assume that they're going to walk in and start and be the man and run the place. And that's not true. You know, th- this is a pretty solid league. It's not as good as EPL or whatever, but. You know, the kind of players that Dallas can afford are not going to come in here and walk in the door and be the best player on the team. It just doesn't happen. So some of them react well and challenge and fight and claw, and some of them don't. 
And this seems like it might be a guy and it's early, but this seems like it might be a guy who's not responding well. Well, considering the that night or the next morning he tweeted out to the fan base, uh, hey, everybody, I'll be back stronger than ever. I felt kind of bad about my comment in the chat room because I thought, oh, wow, he really is hurt. But then, then to find out three or four days later he's at 100% full training, I feel somewhat vindicated in my guess. I believe really at the time you just went, yeah, right. <laughs> when when he tweeted that? Stronger than what? Right. No, he... Yeah. Uh, it was uh, unfortunate, and and if I can pick up on that from watching on a television broadcast, I can only m- imagine uh, what Lucci and the coaching staff must be thinking in this moment. Well, I mean, you can you can go for yourself. Uh, you read it, and the fans that are listening can go read this quote on the practice observations, and it's pretty clear reading between the lines that Lucci, you know, you can't. I'm not going to speak for him. But it sure sounded to me like he was kind of saying the same thing, that they're a little bit mystified by how you go from her. I'm, I got I can't finish the game to now I'm 100 percent ready two days later. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I won't dive into dissecting the Orlando game very much. Uh, the humidity clearly took its toll across the entire team. There were several really odd, unfortunate moments um, uh, in terms of defensive performances. You know, the defense for this team historically has been very, very good. But Brisson uh, had his bad uh, moments playing on the right for Jesse. Um, I'm not sure Ja'Cory Hayes uh, had his best game um, no. a, a, for Dallas. Uh at all. And I'm, and, and I think, you know, I think, uh, we're finding out just how I, uh, again, this relates back to the last week's podcast. It is very clear to me. This team misses, uh, Carlos Grezo more than any of us were probably prepared to think about, uh, when they sold him for uh, a club record. Yeah, I would agree with that. And we don't need to beat on a, a bush, but, um, you know, if you look back at the, the highlight packages, I watched those and the, and the mistakes on the goals, Aside from some poor tracking coming from either wing, um, you know the play went right through the middle of the field, and you know there's some combo play there between Hayes and and um, and Cervania in the first goal and the second goal. I don't even see a midfielder within sight, and Reynolds is playing as a center back and, and overcommits, and Reto's left on an island, and there's nobody marking the guy. So it's you know it's right at the gut that these, these problems were, and that's where Acosta was missing, and that's where for this game in particular, and that's where Grezzo is missing, and that's the big blow. Yeah. That's the thing that will keep them out if it keeps if they're not in. Yeah, and, and it was some of the same things that were problematic in Orlando were the same problems that we saw uh, with uh, the situation uh, with against Salt Lake, uh, against Salt Lake, whereas a lot of possession, a lot of passing around the back, just nothing uh, once the it gets past midfield, which does beg the question about this concept of Lucci ball. And I know we were asked, I don't know if it came in a, a direct message or an email or something to kind of explain in more detail what the concept of Lucci ball is, how it's different than Oscar used to play. Um, and maybe, yeah. and maybe that'll help people understand what really is going wrong when they watch a performance like at what happened against Salt Lake or Orlando. Yeah. The, the, the short answer. And then for people like us, that watch a lot of soccer. The short answer is they want to play like Liverpool or Manchester city, you know, Klopp and, and Pep. Those are the, those are the ideas. But if, if we can break it down into components, um, the biggest, most important part is a high press because the idea is to pounce on mistakes and score. And uh, as Klopp says, you can create more chances and opportunities to score from that than you can playing through a traditional type number 10 um, of the previous, you know, 10 or 15 years. That was the popular way to play. Um, and in the, in the other cases that other than the high press, of course, you have to be able to defend in a mid block or a low block, but everybody does those things. Um, the other key offensive parts are that you have to be able to transition quickly when the ball changes possession, both offensively and defensively. So it's like, this is why you don't see a pure number 10 is because the guys they use Paxton and uh, at the beginning of the year, it was a Costa or whoever you have to be able to play defense in those high positions. So it's the entire 10 players goes from offense to defense at a snap. Um, and that's really important. Um, and in Lucci's case, uh, part of the reason he talks about this team being good at defense is that it, it has a lot to do with playing defense by holding on to the ball. So tons and tons and tons of possession. Uh, if the other team doesn't have it, they can't score. That's part of that theory. Uh, a big part of it is the build from the back, which you see uh, Dallas do consistently now very well. They, their, their build from the back is fine. The problem, of course, is the final aspect of this game is that you have to have um, people that can 
play in the final third on the dribble because you end up with this perimeter of players that are attacking the box um, and you have to be able to go in there and be able to beat a guy or two and lay a ball off to the open man. And that's the aspect that's missing and that's why they're not able to score as much. So that's my two-minute version of what Lucci Ball and tactics are. And that was pretty quick, but um, if, if, if you guys want to add anything to anything I missed that's a part of Lucci Ball, there might be some things, some components that people would be interested in hearing if you have, have some add-ins. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, uh, the ins and outs of it. The, the, only, the only other aspects that Lucci kind of likes to talk about is, um, you know, rather than in, in previous seasons where we've just seen uh, winger gets up to the end line, wing back overlaps, um, Lucci talks about more exchanges in possession a little bit deeper, working the overlap and the underlap. We've seen Reggie get inside a little more. We've seen Barrios try and get inside. Uh, that sort of thing suits Mascara and Baji out on the left because they can cut inside onto their right and, and try and get a shot off. Um, and then the other thing was, you know, this isn't a tall team. Uh, Lucci knows that. There's no point getting to the end floating in crosses. Just drive them. Um they can take a deflection, win a corner. They can hit the keeper and go in. They can make the mark, and Jesus can run onto them. Um, you know, it's, it's as as Buzz has mentioned so many times. It's an attempt to get the ball to feet in the box that really hasn't been working too well. Um, even looking at the passing charts from the Orlando game, there were. Two forward passes aimed towards goal that actually connected. That's uh, that's not really that's not really impressive. Um, you know, more often than not, it was get to the end line and try and blast it in. Which I mean, it's that's a really low percentage pass. Uh, that's more of you know, like Lucci's kind of aiming for when there's not a great option. Just try and make chaos happen. Yeah, as to follow up on what Dan's talking about, um, and, and when you play the Lucci ball kind of system, you have your two wings are now pretty high. You have your two eights or your eight and one of your sixes sneaking forward right underneath your striker who should be in the box. And then you have your two outside backs that are coming forward and they, they should be able to go inside and outside both. Now, all that requires players front to back that are that can dribble and are good on the ball and can transition both forward and back quickly. And specifically what Lucci mentions all the time is what he calls breaking lines, which is when the defense is set up in their four and their four is that you have to be able to get in between them, whether you move in there on your own and then you pass through there or whether you can dribble through there. If you, you have to be able to break those lines. And right now the only person doing that is Paxton because Paxton does what we often talk about, which is he does something unique or unexpected. Like you, when you're watching a player play, when he does something that makes you go, Oh, because it's not what you thought was going to happen. Uh, he's the only one doing that. So when I talk about Paxton needing some help is they need to get somebody that can either sit in between and help break those with passing or make some knifing attacks. And it's something they've asked Canada to try and do more cutting inside. Hollingshead does it on the left. Uh, Mascara does it a little bit, but Barrios, as much as we love him, he doesn't do it enough on the right. He goes to the end and crosses, but Barrios needs to cut inside more and take guys on because you want six guys attacking that box and trying to break those lines. And that's not what happened. That's not what happened is happening. You're only getting one guy effective Paxton, one guy, Santi, maybe 40% of the time is effective. And, and that's where your deficiency in the final third is happening. And that's why you're not creating any goals. The question I have moving forward is what do you think Lucci's uh, plan is to solve his Lucci ball problem? Is it, uh, keeping with the same players that he's been putting out week in and week out and trying to ho and hoping that he'll get the best out of him? Or is there a path to maybe he's going to have to resort to trying some different players? Um, like, why not Thomas Roberts in the midfield and pushing packs back a little bit? I mean, is, are, are things like that maybe a part of the plan? Well, um, I think he gave away a little hint today um, when I, I asked him about Jesus because he's been playing Jesus a lot as a, as a sort of 10 type player, you know, and I was curious uh, to hear from him what, what he thought, uh, what the reasoning behind that was and what they were looking for. And he said, I'm going to paraphrase it, but again, you can see the quotes on the side if you want. 
um, to paraphrase him, he says that uh, they've discovered that Jesus is actually really good at sneaking between the lines, between the defense and the midfield, um, or the midfield and the and the little further back, and being a person that can make those connecting little passes. As he said, he helps them play from the back to the front, uh, and that and that Ferreira, uh, Ferreira, if I can say his name correctly, is going to be key to them in the midfield for the rest of the season. Okay. Well, if you're going to play Jesus in the midfield and we know Paxson's in the midfield, what, what kind of shape are we talking about? Obviously, but obviously we're talking about a single pivot, right? You're talking about two guys playing as sort of eights or quasi eights or whatever. Now I, I, the other person on the team that can play like that, as you just mentioned is Thomas, Thomas Roberts. So Thomas, Thomas is a guy that can dribble through and penetrate and pass and do both those things just like Paxton can. Now, of course, um, Thomas, uh, over his last couple of games with North Texas, has started to dominate those games. That's good. That's the progression we wanted to see from him. But still, he doesn't put together 90 minutes yet. He has one or two moments that are let offs, right? So if he can put together a 90-minute performance, then there's a chance that he could be impactful over the latter half of the year. But I really think the answer is from that question about Jesus Ferreira that Lucci told us the answer. The answer is going to be single pivot with Paxton and Jesus as your Manchester City-like dual eights uh, with De Bruyne underneath like they play. And that that's what you're going to see happen, which of course means that Jesus is not playing as a nine. So your friendly neighborhood, Baji, is going to be your nine going forward. And this, of course, is also coinciding with Coleman return from injury. So maybe they're thinking Coleman will be your backup option as a nine. I know, but you know, if you're trying, if you're grasping at straws and trying to find things happening, I mean, that's, that's what you're doing as a coach. So that's what I think they're going to be. Yeah. Well, you know, you're going to go with Pepe or or Cobra. It's like right now, neither one of those, you might try Coleman, see how it goes. But you know, the short answer is Jesus in the midfield with Paxton. See, here's my question though. Well, I I got two thoughts based on that. One is I'm assuming you, the the single pivot six in this scenario is Brian Acosta. And that scares the crap out of me. Me too. Uh, uh, And then two, you know, if you didn't go out and uh, for whatever reason, things didn't work out, you had the best of intentions of bringing a bunch of impactful players in and deals just fell through. I'll even give them the benefit of the doubt. But the fact that you didn't end up doing anything, when, especially when you saw deals like LAFC selling off uh, Ramirez or um, some of these other signings that other clubs were able to pull off this week um, and, and trades and, and so, so forth, um, my impression is maybe you've just given up on the idea of making the playoffs. Why don't you just throw Ricardo Pepe and Cerillo and Cervania and Paxton and uh, Thomas Roberts out there and, and, and really give them utilize the, uh, take the value of the rest of the season in giving all of your homegrowns experience. You can make that case very well. I think there's a certain, I was thinking about that today was if you know you're not challenging for MLS Cup anyway, why not do that? But, you know, a young coach is trying to prove himself. You know, he's trying to get as deep as he can. I get it. But, I, you know, I think there's a valid argument to the idea of just toss it and play the kids and go all in, you know? Why not play Thomas Roberts for 10 games? (laughs) (laughs) It just seems to make the most logical sense to me, but I I, I don't. Uh, but maybe there's a, a, the competitive spirit of Lucci that he really thinks this team can still be a, not just a playoff team, but a team that competes and goes on some sort of magic run ride uh, through MLS playoffs to MLS Cup. Well, you do have veterans on your team, and if you go with an all-kids give-up lineup, your veterans are all going to start stop playing. Well, I'm not even throwing. So it's going to go I, super yeah, but bad. I don't, but, but I don't even mean that. You're still going to play Brian Acosta. You're still going to play Hedges and yeah. Ziegler. And, uh, you know, Mascara's going to have to throw out his sketchy minutes in there. And Barrios, too. I'm just saying you've got, a, you've got an opportunity to give Thomas Roberts regular minutes, to give Ricardo Pepe regular minutes, to give Cerillo and Cervania regular minutes. You don't have to do it all at the same time. But for goodness sake, let's all be honest, this thing isn't winning MLS Cup this year. Yeah. So use the value of the rest of the season to really give these kids experience in meaningful games. I think you'll see some of that. I think some of those guys that are closest, I think you'll see Reynolds continue to get time. Uh, you know, when you're playing both Ferreira and, and uh, Paxson, you're going to have to have Thomas Roberts on the bench ready to go. 
because if you got to pull one of those guys, the only way to fit a dude in there that's the same is Thomas Roberts. So, um, you know, I think you'll see him get some time. The Pepe, um, you know, right now probably will go with North Texas again, but I'm sure they're going to want to try and see Coleman a little bit just to see what he's got. And then once Coleman, if he proves out to be nothing again, then I'm sure that the end of the season minutes are going to go to Pepe off the bench. No, you know what's going to happen, Buzz. Coleman's going to return back yeah. and he's going to go on the most insane scoring streak and prove us all wrong yeah. and make us all 10 and 10 games. Yeah. yeah. And look like total idiots and he'll wear a cape and become like uh, the Frisco yeah. superhero. And they'll have to pay a million dollars. Right. Wait, yeah. he'll be the line construction worker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, come on's a good dude. If he were to go back 10 to 10, fantastic. Sign him up. Look, they're all great dudes. I'm sure, uh, you know, well, not all of them. Well, Coleman's a technically very good player, just not at that finisher. one facet that dictates his job. Yeah, that would yeah. be helpful. All yeah. right, so Dan, um, let's see. We've got a game coming up Saturday seven. Oh, look, it's another seven p.m. on the hottest Saturday we've had all year um, against Minnesota United. Boy, we're we're totally going to utilize that heat to our advantage against the guys the the Nukes from the north, right? No, have you not seen FC Dallas uh, miss out on on that kind of thing, tire out before teams from cold parts of the country? No, I'm not familiar with that concept. <laughs> I'm questioning how many people will actually get the Nanook from the North reference, Peter. Not that I didn't applaud you internally for it, but <laughs> I bet Wait, most people will miss that. <laughs> I'll let Buzz explain it to you. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the uh, early monumental documentaries uh, in the history of filmmaking that sort of established a lot of the norms of documentary style. But Nanook of the North. Oh, you broadcast professional. Yeah, you can tell who went to film school around here. <laughs> uh, wow. Minnesota are still on a frightening run. What do you mean? Oh, they uh, had that nine game unbeaten run. Uh, threw a couple of ties in, beat Portland, beat Portland again to get to the uh, Cup final tonight. Oh, that's right, that's right. They uh, they're in the uh, U.S. Open Cup. Are they going to get to host it? Do, do we know that yet? No, it's going to be Atlanta. Has that been? Is that official, or is it like a coin toss thing that still has to happen? So they decide uh, a rank, like a a priority order. So uh, beforehand, so uh, if Atlanta made it, no matter what they were hosting, the only team that couldn't host was Portland. So yeah, Minnesota's got to go down to uh, Mercedes Benz. Hmm. Yeah, and so they have they have a, a a Wednesday Wednesday sandwich with FC Dallas in the middle because they have Colorado next Wednesday. So. Yeah, uh, bonus for FC Dallas. Yeah, well, they do come into town on a very, very impressive uh, uh, unbeaten streak. So they uh, beat Cincinnati seven one. Uh, they beat San Jose three to one. They beat Montreal two three. Uh, then remember they beat Dallas one nothing. Then they had two draws in a row at Salt Lake and at Van or no then versus Vancouver and then the aforementioned win over Portland. That's a pretty good little streak uh, that Minnesota's gotten here, and they certainly are not the same team uh, that we remember from last season. Well, I mean, uh, you know, twelve games in all competitions, and they're actually. Second in the West right now. Granted, they're tied with three other teams on uh, just five points ahead of Dallas, but they're uh, they're on some run. Um, you know, fortunately, the saving grace for Dallas is, you know, hopefully the heat would affect them. Sandwich between two Wednesday games, as Buzz mentioned, and you know they they put out a full strength lineup yesterday. Um, you know, uh, Robin Lode, the uh, the Finnish international, is a uh, big signing for him. Don't think he's going to be uh, too uh, too used to the kind of heat in Texas. So interesting, interesting Saturday. Yeah, but Dallas, as we know, in the same seven game span where Minnesota is five zero oh, and two, Dallas is two two. Or excuse me, two three and two. So two wins, three losses, and two draws, and. And certainly the draw against Salt Lake and the loss in Orlando isn't making anybody feel pretty, you know, very good about the form of the team. But then again, 
Uh, this is Major League Soccer. Anything could happen. Dallas yeah, could, parody uh, rules. could uh, totally end the streak uh, with no problem on a hot Saturday afternoon uh, when Minnesota's finally looking to take a game off, considering they've got uh, the Wednesday's Wednesday sandwiches, as Buzz mentioned. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't look the New York Red Bulls uh, game off when they came here earlier this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that fun night. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, when they played their entire second team with a bunch of guys from Red Bull 2 and they swiped the floor with Dallas. Yeah. Uh, I, I forgot about that. Thanks. Yeah, You're welcome. Thanks for reopening that wound, Buzz. <laughs> stab, stab. Much appreciate it. I'm going to get yeah. a beer. Yeah. I can't, can't cope. Um, okay, so uh, that game is at 7 o'clock at Toyota Stadium. Uh, bring your uh, ice-cold towels and air hand fans and all that stuff because it's going to... And Carly Lloyd jerseys. And your, oh, that's right. Carly Lloyd's in town. You know, unfortunately, my buddy and friend Carly hasn't... Uh, slid me a DM uh, to uh, show up to come get my picture taken with the goods. Mm. Would it be blurry again? It w- Yeah. Well, we were having so much fun uh, that day uh, when I met Carly and she and I... Were you dancing mid-selfie? Uh, we, we made a tremendous friendship right on the spot that day at the SMU uh, forum. Yeah. Uh, it was one of- uh, real quick, you want to try and throw out a lineup out for that game? Yeah, that'd be Spicy awesome. Dallas? Yes, please. Well, as I mentioned in Lucci's quote about uh, Ferrara being a midfielder, sort of giving away the store a little bit. Uh, so that means, as I, as we discussed, single pivot with Acosta, we would assume, and Paxton with him in the midfield. Well, that leaves you Baji as the nine because nobody else is any good at all. Not that Baji's great, but he's better than, at this point, Coleman, Cobra, or Pepe. Santi on the left, Barrios on the right, because Gassi's not getting back in anytime soon after that uh, quote-unquote injury. And the back line is basically what I would imagine you expected to be, Hollingshead, uh, Ziegler, Hedges, and Cannon with Jesse and Goal. So it's pretty straightforward, really. Um, I will say that I did enjoy watching both Santi and Hollingshead in training today. They both were really sharp and on top of their game. The whole left side looked pretty good. So um, that gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling to watch both of those guys because those, uh, you know, Hollingshead has, has gotten better and better as the season went on, and Santi's a roller coaster. So when you see him have a really positive day, even in training, it makes you feel good about, you know, oh, good. Let's see a sharp Santi this week, and that'll be good. So there's your basic lineup. and that leaves you probably a bench of Roberts, Sylvania Hayes, uh, Brisson, Reynolds, Maurer, and then either Cobra or Coleman. And maybe this will be the first Coleman game. So you said something that uh, tripped me up. Do you really mm-hmm. think Baji's better, uh, a better option than Pepe at this point? Right now, yeah. Pepe's a 16-year-old kid. You know, as much as we think of how great he's going to be eventually, he literally was with, you know, he, he's he's been a pro for five months, and there's a lot about um, how you play at the MLS level that he's not quite uh, with yet. Like if you watch him play, there's these moments of split hesitation where he's uh, in MLS games now, mind you, and I'm talking about not talking about North Texas. There's these split moments where he's a split second late to react. Um, he's not quite there in terms of like the, the press, when to do it, when not to do it. You know, he's still learning those aspects of the pro game. So um, I mean, obviously in the long run, Pepe's a, significantly better talent but like right this minute if i gotta win a game i'm gonna go an mls game i'm gonna go with Bodge. all right and i'm gonna i'm gonna go back on a on a something we just kind of uh, made a passing joke in reference to uh, a few minutes ago and and dan you you seem to agree with me on this which was the concept of brian acosta playing as the single holding mid uh and going forward why don't you uh ex- explain why you sound like at least i think what i'm under getting from you is that you don't think that's a good idea either uh it's just it is just not his place um you know his most of his career he's played you know that eight or advanced eight uh the, the kind of free eight area uh, his positioning going forward is fantastic unfortunately that leaves him completely open coming back and especially with a single pivot you know, that defensive midfielder has got to support both fullbacks. Uh, you've got, you know, they really have to cover a shed load of ground. And he's his tendencies are to get forward and leave space open. And, you know, we just saw a, a game this past week where Orlando City, who aren't a good side, just played through the middle like it was nothing. I mean, that's, that's kind of... Well, he wasn't there for that. Unless... Oh, I'm not saying oh, he was. Okay. I'm just saying that's the kind of the pattern of play you would you'd sort of expect to see. Um, now, you know, could it be like a Hollinshead type deal? Hollinshead's not a great left back. 
But once he finally stopped being moved around and he got six, seven games under his belt, he, you know, really nailed down the position, was playing well, possibly. But by that time, that's the end of the season. Yeah, I basically agree with that. For me, like what what bothers me when I watch Acosta play that position is that um, he sort of drifts off every once in a while and you turn around, he's 10 yards from where he should be. But when I was talking to Lucci about him a week ago, they say they have all these profiles that they do with all their metrics and stuff that that say to them that he's a six, that he's better as a six even than he is at an eight. So they have some confidence that he can do it. As Dan says, you got to be able to go sideline to sideline and you got to be able to cover you know, two thirds of the field vertically as well. So it's a huge ask. The only one that ever did it here uh, phenomenally was Grezzo. Cirillo did it. Uh, sorry, Cirillo did it uh, fairly well, but um, oh, you got it right the first time. No, I didn't actually. I, I swear I watched a, I actually watched a video of him. One of the trip to the zoo the other day. And I listened to him say his name five times. And he said, Edwin Cirillo, I promise you. So I switched back because <laughs> that's the way I used to say it. I used to say Cirillo. Because you guys gave me a hard have a time. Caleb Montgomery situation. Yeah, maybe. Because you guys gave me a hard time about calling him Cirillo all the time, and then I and then so I changed, and then I watched that video, and he said Cirillo, and I was like, dude. So I switched back. <laughs> so anyway, I think he's Cirillo, Cruz, you. <laughs> yeah, he could be. So Cirillo, <laughs> you know, at, he's eighteen, so he's not Grezzo yet. He down the line, he will be, but right now, they're kind of stretching with Acosta as a single six, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, Rouge is rolling the dice. We'll see how it works. I mean, you know, that's the thing. This is the make or break, right? This is the thing. This move, this shift back to a 4-3-3 is going to be what gets them in or doesn't. Right. That entire coaching staff is filled with multiple guys uh, that do that for a living, and they possess more understanding of this game and experience in this game in their uh, little toe finger uh, toenail than I do in my entire existence. But every time, and I have no evidence, I have no stats, I have no nothing to back this up. I just, my eyeballs tell me when I watch Brian Acosta playing holding mid is that he, it's almost as if he forgets gets he's playing that position and he tends to drift into other positions that I think he's better at which is that eight position so to back yeah. to your point when you see him drifting out that's exactly what I see which is and I just don't see him as the ball winner that I think that that job requires like Grezo was an absolute hoover vacuum of ball winning for this team and I just don't think I've uh, like if I was to uh, at, if you asked me what Brian Acosta's game was, ball winning wouldn't be one of those things. Yeah, I wouldn't have said the same. I mean, I, I would say exactly what you just said. I agree with all that. You know, we we have to hopefully believe that. I mean, Lucci was an attacking mid or a forward, but Peter Lucine certainly knows a fair bit about how to play uh, deep in the midfield. So hopefully they know what they're doing. You know, this is one where I'm at. I I had to say to myself. You know, I don't see what you're seeing, but, you know, I'm going to wait. I'm going to give it three or four or five games and then see if I still agree. Just like when he, he talked about Ferreira and the line breaking today. Okay, I'm going to watch for that. I'm going to see if he can do what you're talking about. It'll be interesting to see. So hopefully they, I mean, they're getting paid the big bucks. So here we go. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we wrap this thing up, do we have any uh, North Texas soccer club or FC Dallas Academy news that we need to pass along? Well, they signed a player today from the Academy, uh, Eminol Algamore. Maybe that was one of the three, two or three that Uh, No, no, no. This is a North Texas signing. Uh, Al McGuire. I can say that right. Uh, Eminol is an Academy player that just finished his second year as a U19. Uh, He's an outside back, nominally a right, but he can't play left. Um, I just thought he was an average outside back. And then they started using him in midfield out of desperation and he came alive. I mean, he's a significantly better six or eight than he was as an outside back. And over the last, basically when they said they had to do that once when North Texas stole all their players. So over the last six months, his game has elevated tremendously and I'm on board with him signing rather than going to college. He was going to go to Northern Illinois, which should tell you the level he's being recruited at. So I think it's a good signing. It's a perfect kind of Academy player to fit into the North Texas setup. So that's a good move. And I think there's going to be a couple more, actually. um, One of the concepts I've talked to Lucy about lately, and I I wanted to bring this up because it's kind of interesting to me, is that they're kind of adverse to the idea of signing a homegrown now, unless their hands are tied um, in the, like in the Dante Sealy situation, or um, if the guy's seriously ready to compete to play like, like Cirillo is. So other than that, they want to sign guys to North Texas deals so that they can have them down there and not eat up roster spots and 
pay them to be with North Texas for a little while. So I think you might see uh, over the this fall and into the winter leading into next season, I might think you might see two or three or four even North Texas signings in lieu of homegrown signings, and you might see one or even none homegrown signing. So that's a little bit of a change from what has gone on before. Dan, anything uh, from the youth academies or the women's team you'd like to talk about? The Youth Academy, uh, we've seen a couple of photos come from Germany with uh, Johan Gomez training with uh, Augsburg, uh, Carlos Grosso's new club. Mm. Um, you know, all those uh, pre-arranged training stints, nothing major there. But, uh, it's, you know, we saw definitely a couple of people on social media saw the kits and, uh, and freaked out. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's still going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, what he's doing next season, whether he is going to go to college, whether he is going to sign on, please sign on. He's probably headed uh, to Portland at the University of Portland. That's his plan last time I talked to him about it. So, uh, you know, that's more like, not him, to, but talk to people about what his plans were. And uh, this Germany thing, I think, is just a chance to do some training or whatever. I think he'll end up at the University of Portland like the plan before. I did have one other thing I wanted to talk about that Lucci mentioned today in the payoff of the lack of transfer window activity. Um, he talked to me about how the their current one of the things they want to do and the, and the reason one of the reasons why they didn't do anything is they actually have a bunch of guys they want to uh, extend contracts to to bump them up. Um, FC Dallas is really sticker stick sticklers for not saying who or how much, but he said he actually used the phrase several or I can't I think it was several or it was a bunch something like that, implying that there are these multiple players that are uh, deserving of more money based on the amount of load or weight they're carrying and the amount of performance they're putting in for Lucci. So yeah, I think it's nice to see that them already talking about, we've got dudes here. We got a reward and take care of that are outplaying their current salaries. And, and for a lot of the young guys, that's, I think that's super positive because that's what they're all about now, right? Is this development and bringing guys through? Yeah. Cause I had totally forgotten until we had this conversation last week and I went and looked and found out that Thomas Roberts actually makes a considerable amount more money than Paxton does. Yeah. When Paxton signed, uh, the, the grass was a little bit different for, uh, the lay land was a little bit different for homegrowns and Thomas Roberts is a highly, highly acclaimed and highly thought of you know, coming out of the Academy as was Paxton. But again, it was three years ago. So different lay of the land. And so the monies were different, you know? Oh yeah. I'm not blaming anybody, but Pax yeah. is Pax is on like a hundred thousand dollar deal. And Thomas yeah. Roberts is on like $180,000. Well, though there's four guys right now that for sure need help. And that's one of them is Paxton. So we've talked to death about Paxton, but also Reggie, um, Reggie Cannon, uh, Brian Reynolds, who doesn't play a lot, but still is on a pretty low deal relative to his value. Uh, Cause more of a, value of what other people might want to buy him for than necessarily like what he's performing at. Uh, and then the fourth one is, uh, Oh, Hey, says Ferreira's on the fr- last year of his deal of his original three year. Now they all have two years options. They could, you know, pick them up, screw them all that stuff. But even beyond those four guys, Lucci mentioned specifically that there are guys that aren't near the end of their deals, even that they feel are playing beyond what their current deal is. And they feel like those guys should be paid accordingly. They don't want to be a team that's known for stiffing people. So, they want to reward guys that they bring along and develop. So I, I think that's really positive, actually. Um, what both domestics and farm players and uh, that they're going to hopefully take care of some of these guys that deserve more than they're getting. So is this the moment where uh, Dan Hunt offers uh, Paxton the million dollar a year deal that I suggested? <laughs> that's not like, happening. Wait, maybe <laughs> not. Okay. Yeah. If it, so you're you're saying to me that Lucci is suggesting that trying to give Reggie and Pax just those two guys alone proper deals commiserate with their performance to the team is is also the the byproduct of that is not signing anybody else of any quality or worth anything in the transfer window he he said that um he didn't name any names but he said that one of the reasons that they decided to wait on some of these guys was the financial considerations of what you'd have to pay for them now versus how much they would actually play and also the fact that they want to take care of some of these guys here first, that they have placed on a priority on their current developmental club mentality. So, 
you know, again, I think it's good. I think it's good that they're like, if they're embracing this developmental club mentality, then pay the guys appropriately. I, That's all I'm saying. No, no, I com- yeah, yeah. I completely agree that all those guys deserve their money and their due. But Dan, you and I both know the fan base wants this team to be competitive, yeah. and part of being competitive is a paying your homegrown success stories the amount of salary that they should be making for their performance, and B, is uh, uh, fusing next to them quality inbound players from other places. And that's the piece that's missing here, and I think we all agree probably isn't in our future. Yeah, um, you know, obviously we've uh, seen a lot of fans uh, turn the phrase meaningful uh, reinforcements, impactful transfer window, you know, the other things that Dan Hunt, says to just say things uh back on the team um you know there was there was one uh, line that lucci said to buzz earlier that kind of stuck out to me and uh, uh you know and it just came down to these moves being finan- more financially feasible for us potentially for 2020 um you know i could definitely see fans reading that and saying financially feasible they uh, it, it because it doesn't fit in with a five dollar budget, or you know, now I'm sure an element of that is as as Buzz was talking about, uh, and you know, paying players who are playing well above their uh, their current deals. But it also includes jettis- jettisoning players that are playing below their current deals and clearing cap space. That happens this winter too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, especially when you've got uh, you know, you've got Coleman up, you've. Uh, you know, potentially got uh, if if uh, the garden snake's not guaranteed for next year, you've always got the chance with that. You've got there's definitely a few uh, few moves that can be made. It's just uh, the, the the phrase is probably more impactful than than Dan Hunt intended the window yeah. to be. Yeah, I'll I'll wrap this up by saying uh, this caveat, which is. Uh, the 2019 season, we all knew whether we wanted to admit it or not. Some of us were probably more upfront about this concept than others were willing to be, which is a uh, very young roster, very young coach, uh, essentially an entire new front office staff in terms of uh, anything related to the on-field product. Uh, and this was always going to be a rebuilding season. We're really, truly not going to understand uh, the direction and the ambition and the real potential of this new setup until we get through the 2020 season. Yeah, you could even carry that forward and even call it an evaluation season where Lucci's trying to figure out, can I play the way I want to play? What pieces am I missing? What pieces do I have? Does it work? Does it work in this league? You know, does it work with this roster? That's all part of it. And yeah. we all knew, you know, we everybody on this podcast went into this season with a mid-level sort of expectation, and that's all part of it. Yeah, uh, it doesn't it doesn't make it any less frustrating or uh, aggravating uh, to see poor performances and crappy rosters. But even looking a bit further away from Lucci, you know, you've got Andre Zanotta just uh, in his first season in the job. You know, he signed some big players for Gremio. He's got some great contacts in Brazil. He's got a couple of contacts in the U.S. through his previous work with traffic. Right, but is uh, it, but, but is the first evidence of his skill set uh, Edwin Jossie? Well, that's that's what I'm getting to. You've you've got. I don't you know, know. Is th- it? Those are great. In I don't. I, know. I don't know. I don't know who would have been on them. At yeah, all. I don't know. I mean, obviously, we know he and Lucci weren't involved with uh, with the Garden Snake. No. Uh-uh. Um, you know, and that that was. You know how much we we don't know how much. Firstly, goes back to the plan that was put in place before Oscar left. Um, you know how much of that is down to, you know, as I noticed first uh, first few months and kind of get building up those contacts. I mean, even if you look further afield in, in within the club, you've got one player for North Texas SC that they signed in March and still hasn't made it to the country because of you know the way immigration's changed. Uh, and that's an extra factor that you know people have to account for in these moves now. Hey, uh, Dan, before we go, no impersonation. Excellent. No, I'm not. Go- oh, <laughs> I had forgotten about that. Way to go, Dan! I totally forgot. It's time now, everybody, for Dan's the Peter to do karaoke. It's time now for Dan's library of impersonations. And uh, let's see, who do I want you to? You know who I want you to impersonate? 
I want you to impersonate um crap, his name escaped my head. The guy that scored the tying goal for Luton Town against Middlesbrough and that fascinatingly wonderfully mm. exciting and entertaining game that I watched the other day of your hometown team. Thank you. That's very good. That's a fabulous you mean James game. Collins. Yeah, I want you to do an impersonation of uh, Mr. Collins uh, post game being interviewed about his game tying goal. Okay. Okay, I've really got to get into this. <sighs> Fucking hell, more now. That was hard work. Okay, there you go. Did he really do that? <laughs> I have no oh, idea. Oh, I was going to say, that would be an awesome interview. I would love some I mean, it was ESPN. Plus on the uh, on the international feed, so just cut it dead. I'm telling you, man, that was such a great. There was, was a little game. bit of everything yeah. in that game that was so much fun to watch, uh, and it it was so championship. It was, uh, but you know what? Every I, I said this on the radio show uh, the following Saturday. Every time I flip on a championship game, they always end up being very entertaining games to watch, and I don't know why I don't watch more of the championship. That's why a lot of people, uh, people who watch the championship, say it's it's not the best quality league in the world, but for entertainment, there's nothing yeah, better. It was fantastic. Well, thank you for that, Dan. I appreciate you. Uh, that's another fine addition to Dan's library of impersonations. So next week you're doing karaoke. No. Why would no. we why would we introduce a new bit? We've already got a great benchmark feature. Because it's better. No. Oh. Uh, no, no, Dan. I, Buzz and I highly disagree with you. This is fantastic stuff. Yeah, well, I didn't hear Buzz disagree. Yeah. No, I like I like the Dan uh, impressions too. That's two votes to one. We win. All right, Buzz, thank you very much. Uh, Good stuff from you. Dan, always, you're the very best. Uh, Thank you for your uh, time and uh, and, and your additions to the show. And thank you for making my mumble sound audible. uh, It it takes a little bit of uh, (laughs) auto-editing magic, but I do the best I can. All right. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy the game this weekend. Thank you, FC Dallas fans. And we will speak to you next week on another great filled edition of Third Degree, the podcast.